I did get to this chapter and had a difficult time going through it because I sat there and looked read through it and went, well, I'm not sure I personally 100% agree with how he presented this, and grace doesn't operate the way he presented this. What do I do with this chapter? <laughs> um, so we had lunch, and we talked for several hours, and we'll see if, uh, you know, what he thinks of how it came out. Where I'm at, where I'm presenting this is a little out of order with some of the other chapters. This is technically chapter four. So I'm going to look at, they're going to be going through some of this, and it's going to sound like several other chapters that you're referencing, several other things, you know, touches on church discipline, some other things. But just getting into it, in this, in this book, um, he has presented these chapters as marks of a healthy church. And even going through it, one of the, the early things I noticed is it's slightly a misnomer, because in this, he would even contradict that some by saying, you know, the mark of a healthy church is church membership, and then pointing out unhealthy aspects of churches that have really heavy pushes towards membership. So we're going to talk about this. The, the, the mark of a healthy church is not church membership by itself. It is not an institution. It is not a piece of paper with so many names on it. Um, because you can have all that and still have a very unhealthy church body in the membership, in, in the people that are there. To get, to get started with this, I, I ended up doing some reading, some extra reading, and talking to a whole bunch of y'all, and, and kind of asked, how did we get here? Like, what, if we're going to talk about church membership, why do we have church membership? This is not a distinctly American idea. This is not a distinctly Baptist idea. Many churches have gone there, and, you know, everybody's favorite organization comes up when this comes up. You know, it starts generally with the Catholic Church, because it was such a sacramental system, you get baptized into it or you're born into an area where the Catholic Church was in control, you were part of the Catholic Church. You get baptized in and they've got you for life. <laughs> That's a little harsh. It was harsh at some points, though. And it really became a bigger deal, and the idea of membership as we know it seems to develop around the time of the Reformation, as churches began breaking from the Catholic Church and different denominations start to form different serious theological differences about what it means to be a Christian, what the Bible says, and how we're to act that out as a church became a much bigger deal. Some of that was still regional, you know, the, the idea that if you were born in Germany after Martin Luther and Lutheranism really took over in Germany, you were probably Lutheran. That was really unpopular not to be. There were persecutions and different things that happened in different churches. Um, but the idea of being a part of a church because of the doctrinal position it espoused started to creep in. Not just where you were born, not just what, you know, yeah, region you were a part of. And uh, as, as we see more and more denominations coming to, to, into existence, especially by the time the U.S. was, was conceived of and we celebrate you know, independence and the, some of the religious freedom that they, the founders desired when they came here and as they were establishing the U.S., you start to see churches popping up literally next to each other in the same town in ways that hadn't existed prior to that. And I get all the way up to that point to say this was not like this when Paul was writing to the churches in the different towns. Um, this looks different. There are, there are many things, we're, well, hopefully several things we're going to look at today that are principles that are passed down to what a church ought to be and what the people in the church are, you know, reasonably expected to, to do. But the idea of church membership in, 
the church situation that we find ourselves today is not specifically addressed. When Paul wrote to the churches in the different places, that was the church. And for one, I'm kind of grateful that we don't do that anymore because living in Independence, Missouri, if you hear people offhandedly referring to the church, it's not this one and it's not anything like this one. <laughs> I'm glad not to be affiliated with that church. Let's start out in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. There are verses that people go around to um, when you're talking about church membership, different things that um, th things that people will point to and say this was a reason for church membership, or here's a um, a simple explanation for or you know a principle that will come to bear in Ch Acts chapter 14, verse 21. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue with the faith, and the saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Some of these things that we're looking at today are not a bullet point, Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill. We're looking at patterns of how the, how the apostles operated, where they started churches, how the things were going. And one of the things that as you read through the New Testament, not just in Acts and other places, as they traveled, as they preached the gospel and people were saved, as disciples were being made, they planted churches in each one of those places. They appointed elders. This was a priority. His name Timothy was sent back in order to finish establishing elders and getting these churches off the ground. There were no believers in these areas that were left to fend for themselves or just kind of quietly, cool, you're saved. Keep it up. There were churches presented in each of these, in each of these locations. This was, as you read through the New Testament, it is just really hard to get around the idea that the church exists as a biblical concept and is presented by the apostles as the way Christianity was supposed to operate. Groups of believers in different cities, all affirming their faith in Christ, coming together and doing a whole bunch of things. When we look at the, the concept of church membership, it's never presented as putting your name on a list. There's verses talking about you know, adding to the number of the disciples or things like that. But a lot of these are normal Christian responsibilities that they're great either they're you know they're out for outpouring their outgrowth is in the local body of believers got a bunch of verses we'd like to go through when we're talking about okay i don't think real linear and i'm sorry i'm trying to get this I, most of my issue in communication is not finding information it's presenting it in a logical fashion so I'm going to transition to, okay, so if you're a Christian, and if it is normative for a Christian to be involved in a local body of believers, which while we could go through, and it, most of the ideas that we're presenting today, could, the people have written large books about, and I can't present that this morning. <laughs> so the idea that the church exists as a biblical concept, I think we can, we can get at, operate as a given. What should be expected of a Christian in light of that? Can I have some people look up some verses for me, because this is going to get... Is going to start jumping around a bit. Romans 12, uh, verse 9 and 10. Daniel. Um, 1 Peter 1, 22. Carson. And 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 27. Roy. 
some of this is going to start sounding a lot like the, the Living Side by Side series that Pastor went through before we started this one. And that's not a coincidence. Let's start out with Romans 12, verse 9. There are general commands to love your neighbor and things like that, but when he's addressing specifically the the believers that are at Rome, the church that is there, and tells them to love one another with brotherly affection, that's not just, oh, well, yeah, you ought to be loving because, you know, loving in general. There, There is a specific body he had in mind. He's talking about the brothers, and there is a special love that we do show to one another as believers. 1 Peter 1.22. Again, talking to these, and we've been going through this in the, the Sunday morning series, this is talking to these exiles, the, the believers that Paul has calling out, trying to encourage, and he's calling them to love one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 27. One of the big questions that comes up as we've talked about some of that is, when you're talking about the body of Christ, is this the local body? Is this the body universal? And some of that, I think there's, there's things that bleed over into how we interact with other believers as opposed to how we interact with believers that, that we attend, you know, specifically we come together as a local body with. But one of the things the, the Bible is clear about when you're talking about some of this is these things are meant to fit us together. This idea of, you know, things with more honor, less honor, the trouble that we go through is meant to join us together in love. The things that we care about, there's a more intimate interaction here than there would be, for instance, with a church in another country that we have never interacted with. Are they part of the body of Christ? Yes. Is there, you know, analogy and some of the other things, the the ways the church is, yeah, um, discussed, then yes. But there is something here that with these believers, there is a fitting together as a body, as a single organism, that does you know, cause us to love one another, even through the difficult times, even through other things. The call to love one another is, is there. Right now I'm going through, this is a list that he had in the book. Um, the next thing he talked about was care for one another spiritually and physically. And Romans 12, 13. I'm sorry, I'll start in verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, and contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We have several examples of that in Scripture, some of that being, you know, the, um, was that Priscilla and Aquila that took Paul in, worked with him, showed hospitality, other churches as a whole contributing to the needs of another church, sending back specifically for Jerusalem. There were other things like that. I'm going to be brief because some of these we could keep going into and I just need to go, you know, want to, want to touch on some of these things. One of the things that 
Christians are required to do for one another is watch and hold another, one another accountable. Can somebody look up Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2? Aaron? Yep. Um, and Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. David? Start with Galatians. And then Philippians, you got that in? One of the, and this is going to kind of touch on some of the other, the other things that, you know, specifically Daniel said during church, um, church discipline. One of the things that we're required to do, and some of it falls as much under discipleship as it does discipline, is, is to hold one another accountable, to encourage one another, to help each other grow in Christ. Some of that is also a holding accountable. Um, when you see someone that has sinned, that is sinning, and it is our job to call that person to repent, to, to point that out to them, to point them to the scriptures, and to hopefully see that person restored. This one's a, it's kind of a funny one to me since I'm still in Romans. I'll, I'll read that. It's Romans 15, 1 through 7. Um, we're called to bear with one another. And we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's a whole bunch of different things that, we, that I've heard people discuss out of that passage. It's a rich one. For our purposes today, one of the things I think is slightly humorous in that is it is required. You know, there is a gift of long-suffering and endurance and encouragement that God gives so that we can live together in harmony. You're not easy to live with, always, and neither am I. And if there's going to be a body and if there's going to be a group of people that have come together for one purpose, there's still going to be a measure of endurance and bearing with that occurs. You know, normally it's not a, you know, there, there are different things that when we talk about bearing with someone or, you know, other passages talking about love covering, there, there are reasons, I guess, that, that different churches have sprang up, large doctrinal differences you know, applicational differences and things like that. But even on the smaller level of just interpersonal, there's going to be a measure of encouragement and endurance that we get from one another. There are many passages. I'm going to just skip over this one just a little bit about praying for one another. Passages that talk about keeping away from those who would destroy the church. There is a, is how he put that. Um, there are, you know, we'll talk about... Uh, I guess this one's going to be Romans 2, Romans 16, um, verse 17. Remember someone read that for us? Daniel, go back in again. Yes. In this one, there's this kind of touches back into um, that idea that there are people that will cause divisions and specifically things contrary to the doctrine the apostles presented. 
there is a reason we all are not, why, why today we are here instead of you know, the church that independence is most famous for. And that's because we have strong doctrinal disagreements with those churches. Part of the duty of a church is coming together, standing on a specific statement of what we believe the Bible says about something. To hold, I don't know, say, hold a line is not the right expression, but sometimes it's interesting to look around. And as I've, if you do much digging beyond just our closer theological circles, I've been listening to some different people in different denominations, and you'll find some things that you're surprised that, you know, yes, we agree on this. We hold this in common. And then you get out a little further, and you start to wonder at some point why. I, I was listening to an Anglican, and there's some, our group is going through a book by an Anglican, J.I. Packer, and it's, it's been very solid. We've enjoyed that. Um, been great discussion. And then you get into some other parts specifically of Anglicans. And there's this guy that I was listening to presented some of his theology. And it ended up sounding really new agey. It had little to nothing to do with the Bible. And at some point we really had to wonder, why do you even call that Christian? Because it had, you know, did not believe in the Bible. That was absolutely nothing to do with anything. Um, and it was all just about the spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit was about breathing life into the world. And it was... This whole random other thing. One of the responsibilities that we as a church come together for is to confess our faith, our mutual faith, and hold that in contrast to things like false teachers and worldliness. Philippians 2. I'm going to read this one because it's a longer passage. I'm not going to put somebody on the spot for that. Philippians 2, 1 through 18. It says, if there, any, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, and any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, one of those passages that you could, you know, entire books have been written on. For the application that we're talking about today, there's a whole bunch of one another things at the beginning of this that we are supposed to be doing for one another. Having the same love, being of the same mind, considering others more important than ourselves. The example that's given us is Christ. And together, there's a, the idea that we would, we, together we are to emulate Christ in these ways. One other specific one, and this is the last one in this, this list, is we're given leaders that we are supposed to honor. Can somebody read First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13? These churches were, you know, as we talked about earlier, given elders over them 
these churches were organized, and I, it seems a little, I don't know how to say that, um, like an argument after the fact, but if you were organized into a church and given leaders and asked to respect those leaders, it seems like at some point you ought to identify those leaders and have them over you. We get to this list, we get through some of these things, and honestly, I spent a lot of time grappling over what does it, uh, is membership necessary to fulfill these things? There's a whole bunch more that we could have gone into, a whole bunch of verses in the New Testament that they're, you know, given commands directly to one another, to brothers, to, you know, leadership, different things like that. And some of that, I've heard a lot of arguments that, that that's not necessary. And it depends, some of that, I'll honestly say, depends on where you go with that. Uh, I've got family and other folks that, that were, you know, hurt in a church um, many years ago, and I've never known them to stay in a church for long or, you know, stay for very long. And some of that is a reaction to some of the, some of the things they experienced decades ago now. And the idea that they would never be part of a church or experience any of those blessings whether you're talking about membership or not, some of this is a discussion of being part of a body. If you never become part of any body, you will never experience these. And putting your name on a list will not guarantee these things in your life or in the body of, uh, in a body of believers. But that said, I think there are five reasons to be part of the church. What are, what are some of, before I get into that, um, one of the things we didn't get into, and part of just because I think I can ask this question, what are some of the analogies given to the church? What are, what are some ways the church is described throughout the, throughout the New Testament? A building. A, building. A, body. A body. What was that? A bride. What are, you know, in, the, in the example of the building, um, you know, talking about we, we are his workmanship built up, you know, laid one on top of the other, the, the, the one about the body, you know, specifically we are parts of a body fit together. We talked about that. And I didn't come up with a, a broken down example of a bride because usually that's just a package deal. We don't talk about the, the components or, you know, break that down too far. Um, talking about the church as a whole there, though. Um, one of the, you know, a lot of these, these, um, Analogies have component parts. Like I said, bride kind of breaks down there. Um, but specifically body and church, there, there's a component parts. And if it doesn't build on one another, then it's not a whole body. And kind of coming back to what we said about, you know, church membership not being the mark. You know, you can have names on a list, but if there's parts of the body missing, parts of the body not interacting or in a healthy way, you know, functioning with the body, this is not going to, this is not going to grow. This is... Uh, yeah, I don't. Anyway, five reasons that he gives to be part of a church: confirmation and growth in your confession of faith. It is one thing to, in the world, confess Christ, and obviously that's that's a big part of what we do as believers. If the people that are around you do not know that you are a believer, that is an unusual thing. There, there are things that happen in the life of a believer after Christ has come in and changed them, converted them, and put his spirit in you, that it doesn't, uh, to, to make that uh, a subtle thing is, I don't know, contradicts the work. 
But in coming to a church, most churches for membership require a public confession of faith. Usually baptism is a part of that. This is the place that, you know, this is, we, we haven't built a whole bunch on this, but the church is entrusted with, you know, sacraments like Lord's Supper, baptism, all the fellowship that we just discussed with a closer body, with the responsibility of those people and you to, to continue discipleship. Second thing was uh, cooperation and evangelism. One of the big obvious things that most churches have done is a support of missions. That I, I have known individuals that supported missionaries. It is a little easier when you come together to support in a more meaningful way folks that are going out sent specifically with uh, the purpose of taking the gospel to the nations. One of the things that churches do in evangelism is supporting Bible teaching here, supporting your own pastors, supporting you know elders and you know teachers that are that are going on every Sunday in this location. The availability of that is, as I said, going back talking about you know church membership, even early American history. You know the idea of circuit writing preachers because you could not have a pastor at every church every Sunday because there wasn't one. The chance to support that and grow that here is, again, ideal. I think the way it was supposed to be, but looking at history, it's not always been. That is a priority worth worth investing in. The church is responsible for you know different acts of mercy, physical help for you know widows, fatherless, orphans, uh, and the poor. Specific, you know, are are specifically called out at different points. And the idea that the church is equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. There is a, a personal growth aspect in that too. I mentioned the you know exposing the false gospel by coming together and teaching a biblical confession of faith that does stand in contrast to other churches that would, I mean, like I said, there's major doctrinal differences. Um, if you look at the mainline denominations and some of the other things, sometimes differences in you know, one church to another are more subtle. Other times they're, they're more major and worth calling out. Like I said, entire libraries are built around what people believe and why. And, on, and sometimes that gets really petty and sad. And then you see some other things going on, and sometimes you'll hear, you know, for instance, a Bible teacher maybe you hadn't heard before on a radio or a TV program or, you know, shared by a loved one, and you think, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then you, something will just jump out at you like, wait, they, they, they believe that. This is being propagated. The idea that we would stand and, you know, teach, hold, and confess, you know, a, a specifically biblical, as near as we can hope, I say hope, I mean intentionally trying to do that, but you know, realizing we're all flawed, there there are there there are crazy things out there that if you dig very far you'll find some really strange theology and to come together with believers who don't embrace that, who embrace what you would think of as a you know, I mean I say you would think of because we're talking about perspectives here. That yes, we would hold this confession and think this is most biblical. But I'm talking in circles. One of the other things is just general worldliness. When we're talking about exposing a false gospel by presenting that, yes, we confess our faith in, in God, in Christ, in, in the Bible itself. We've seen in the last months and you know, years, it's not 
seems like some things have come up a little stronger lately because people are reacting stronger with Roe versus Wade or other things like that, that there's a strong difference between those that would hold the Bible as authoritative and stand behind that and those who don't. Sometimes not as much as we'd like, but that does mark a difference. Um, one of the reasons to be part of a church is to edify that church. This is, this is not just about you, although there are things that, you know, in those benefits and different things like that, that we see as being beneficial to you, that by being part of this, it can gain you something. And it seems like at some points in American history and maybe our not so recent past, or not so distant past, you know, being a part of a church, having your name as a member of a church was more of a tangible benefit in society than it is now. But some of these are not just for the benefit you will gain from it, but by being a part of it, the benefit that you will be to someone else. And the, all, like we talked about all the side-by-side -side things that we were supposed to be doing one for another. It's not just so someone else can come do them to you or so you can bump into someone and they can be an encouragement or you know, offer some discipleship or edification to you. It's so that you can offer that to someone else. One of the big passages that I don't know that you can go through talking about church, uh, church membership um, without addressing is Hebrews uh, 10, verse 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the things that I had confessed was a little, I did not expect when I came across this information, and maybe it should be a little more prominent in my thinking. Can somebody look up Matthew 16, verse 18? Carson? This this verse normally comes up in some other discussions, like you know, um, specifically um, talking about with with Catholics about what is the church, what did Christ promise to build, and was it Peter that he built it on, or his declaration of faith, other things like that. Ignoring those nuances just for a moment, one of the things that God has promised to do is build the church. One of the reasons that we we come to a church, that we participate with a church, that we are part of this body, is to glorify God. And even by the simple act of its, its growth and its flourishing, while that involves many other things, that in itself does glorify God. Those, those are the five reasons that, that Mark Deaver gives. I'm curious now. There's um, Suddenly, I remembered one thing that I forgot. One of the things that... I, how did I get... Because I don't think I've touched this. Um, talking about holding one another accountable and other things like that. That tied in, in a large part, to Daniel's message. Did I talk about discipleship or um, church discipline? Did I already hit that a little bit? Okay. That in all these things, and we need to edify the church, glorify the God, expo you know, standing for, for the gospel as presented in the Bible, evangelism, and, and specifically in the confirmation of our faith, the confession of our faith, one of the things that is held often as a reason for church membership is the inclusionary and exclusionary passages that I don't think I, anyway, um, that Daniel covered very well in church discipline. 
And that brought us to a, 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 bunch, a bunch of different conversations. I talked to our small group, and if you'd gotten together with me in the last several weeks, we've probably at some point had the conversation of, you know, the idea that there is a, most, most churches that I know and all of them that I've been a part of have had some sort of membership arrangement. And the question kept getting raised, is that, is that how we ought to be doing it? Is there something there? And I've talked to a whole bunch of you that have different opinions in, in both directions, and a whole bunch of different thoughts have come up. Like, okay, is this, a, is this a necessary thing? Is this a biblical thing? Do you find this in the Bible? And like some other things that we've come to, um, I don't think there's a... There's not a specific verse that talks about and on this Sunday, when the apostles were gathered together, they reviewed the lists of applicants for church membership and approved them and welcomed them into the church or did something real specifically like that. And this has been a real brief overview of some of these ideas, these um, principles that are given to us in Scripture about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to operate among a community of believers. And church membership, I, I think the heart, it, this is going to sound slightly harsh, but it's kind of a necessary evil. Um, it is a pragmatic and practical approach to implementing some of these biblical principles that, that are given to us. I've, I've heard cases against church membership, and there's some things that I, I kind of agree with that about, like in, in, the, in the, the desire to see organic growth and this idea that it's not something that you can you know, just put down on a piece of paper, this must be in the lives and the hearts of these individual Christians that come together. And in some ways, I think that that's probably the biggest push that you can give in something like this, is that instead of, for instance, sorry, um, in, in the, the book, one of the things I thought was really interesting was Mark Deaver talks about how if you look at churches that, that do not have um, members, um, there's a lack of commitment and there are different pitfalls that you can get into there. Um, but then he points out, the, for instance, the Southern Baptists who publish numbers every several years about their statistics and different things like that. And I believe he's affiliated with Southern Baptists. And then points to them and goes, well, but they have members that, you know, the average the average Southern Baptist church, I think, had 160-some members, um, but averaged about 80-some 80, people on any given Sunday. And this idea that, you know, okay, to be a church member is, you know, a fine thing. Putting your name on that piece of paper and being one of those top number that, that is there but not present or not actively engaged doesn't, doesn't solve anything and does not contribute to the health of the church being one of those members that is a part of the body, attached, joined, and, and presently encouraging one another, loving one another, doing, doing all these things, is what's going to affect and be a sign of the, the health of a church. So is membership 100% always necessary? I, I can't give a, a hearty yes to that. That said, I, I again, kind of like he said, I've not seen that done well if you don't have it. And some of that may be uh, an indictment on both sides as well. One of the conversations it reminds me of, and I've heard this gone around back and forth, is, you know, which direction do you go with things like small groups? 
um, as the idea of an organized small group in a church, distinctly biblical in that we, we set up this program where we all do this. These are things that we ought to be doing, and people, you know, are, are not doing them, but by, you know, joining a group, by getting together, you know, as often as the group meets, whatever, you do enjoy the benefits of some of those things. Merely sticking all these people together in a room once a week or, you know, and handing them a book to talk through does not confer the benefits of the, the fellowship that that's trying to encourage. Um, but if you, but if those people do come together, even in a program, um, to to share those things, to fellowship, to study, they they do enjoy the benefits of that, and there are more organic things that you'd seek from something like that, that that may be addressed by a program, and that is a really big circle that just keeps getting like just spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. Is where does the the program end and the organic pick up, or different things like that? One of the things we've appreciated about being at Grace, we've been here for a year and a half, is that generally the body is is a very healthy thing. Like um, it, it, the interaction that we've had at Grace has been really good. There's there's a healthy body life going on, and and the irony of much of this, um, my standing here being one to say this, as you know, technically to this point, I'm not considered a member at Grace. But for a year and a half, we've been a part of this body. We've interacted with you guys. We've been encouraged. We've been built up. We've been experiencing the benefits of being part of the body of Christ here. And and one of the biggest things I'd say as a takeaway from this is not, uh, you know, that that signing on the line or talking, shaking one of the the elders' hands or something, um, is gonna inherently. Um, bring about these things in your life, nor is it a test of the direct help of of a, a church that, that they have those things set up, but that, like some other things, and with some of these considerations about what is what you know, how is the spirit moving, how is it working, and how is that working itself out in the life of the believers around here, um, that that will be the test of the the health of a church and the health of its membership and the health of the people that make up the body in that particular location. Let's pray, and we'll turn it back over to Pastor. Father, we're thankful for this time to come together. We are thankful for the body that gathers here. We're thankful for the encouragement, the the rebuke, the 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 instruction, all the things that we've listed that, that have that are benefits of a group of people coming together with your spirit working in their heart and encouraging one another towards you. Pray that uh, that uh, these things would be uh, uh, would continue, would grow, and that you know sometimes even things that, that we're not even sure what that would look like, but we know that, that you've called us to. We don't know what that would look like in a church, but you uh, things can grow past what what we what we understand or what we think. And I pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in each one of the people here, that they would be a a, a healthier body. One joined together and one functioning for your glory. Just in my brain. Two contrasts that, that help us think, oh, we shouldn't do all that technical stuff, or no, actually we should. And both of those pulls are going to be there. The first contrast is this, that those people that received the word were baptized and added to the church were added to the universal church of Jesus Christ. 
the, the body of believers in all time, in all areas of the world, uh, that are followers of Jesus and thus sons and daughters of the living God, the universal church. But they were also a part of a local body that was instantly 3,000 people. So whether we have our hundred and some today or you met somewhere in town where there were a thousand gathering, the number doesn't solve our membership question. It just, it just leaves it there. Um, so when we talk membership, are we talking universal church, family of God, or are we talking the local application where we kind of live it out practically? The other contrast is organic and organized. Because it seems very organic in Acts 2, they received the word and were baptized. They're following Jesus, and they're, and they're looking at each other saying, do you believe this too? This is great. It was, it was new life. It was the essence of organic, and yet we also know they were added to the church by a certain number. They knew exactly who they were. There was a certain level of organization that we have a number that's added to the body. So there we see that function of membership. It is organic. We're calling you to the one another's, to commitment to the body, but it's okay if there's some kind of organization to it. And this is where there's a little bit of room for churches to figure out how organic versus organized. Uh, so in both of these contrasts, organic and organized, universal and local, this question of membership can just kind of rest there, and however we decide to do it, as long as we're kind of addressing all those ideas, great. If another church does it differently, great. Um, but let's just recognize we're part of God's family, the universal church, but I don't really do the one another's with a, with a faithful brother in Uganda or somebody in you know, Yugoslavia, no, I kind of live out the evidence of my unity in the faith right here in this body, and maybe with a few extended Christians in town somehow. Uh, universal and local, organic, yes, it's, it's the essence of life. We're body parts. Organization, that's not bad either. Uh, so if we ask you, hey, why don't you pray about being a member of Grace Bible? You don't have to feel that's overly technical, thwarting organic, um, just wrestle through that in your mind. And if you can't see a biblical objection to that, say, yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'll live out my faith here. I want to receive the gifts that God has given to his church from these believers. We can do that here. Um, and we'll try not to overcomplicate this. I don't think we have over the years, but maybe we haven't emphasized this is a good thing, uh, and you need to consider it. So you do that in these coming weeks as we talk more about this. Thank you, Aaron, for... Uh, prodding us on in this particular matter. Let's take a break here and reconvene in about 15 minutes.